When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my AP Gov Rockstars. Uh, so let's get going with some content uh, in these reviews. So the last uh, podcast was about the court document. I mean, uh, the court cases that you got to know and the documents that you got to know. So we're going to get going. Uh, I'm going to do uh, four of these, one on unit one, one on unit two. Uh, I'm going to combine unit three and four uh, and then do unit five. All right. So uh, those will be the the, the the items that we go over the next few days. Uh, unit one is going to be 15 to 22 percent of your test. So a good chunk of the test could potentially potentially come from this. Uh, as we go through it, there are some of the documents that are included in these standards. I'm going to skip over them because I, I, we went over the, the documents um, in the in the last podcast. So if you're concerned about that, just check that out. OK. Uh, all right. So, uh, you know, one, like I said, it's foundations of American democracy, the, the constitutional underpinnings, however you want to call it or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and let's just you know, run through these. Um, <clears throat> so first off, the first thing, ideals of democracy. And um, that is the, the government uh, and, and the balance of power, governmental power uh, between uh, you know, our rights as individuals and the the uh, basically the government itself. OK, um, some key ideas to take away from this uh, that is that our government is based on limited government. OK, uh, so we don't want to have uh, the huge government that we kind of have today. Uh, I'm not going to get into all that, but that's one of the things um, the, the government power should be limited. And things like that. Uh, there's also the natural rights room. This is an idea from um, Hobbes and Locke and, and those guys, and the fact that um, everybody is entitled to life, liberty, and remember they said property. Uh, Thomas Jefferson changed it to um, pursuit of happiness. Okay, uh, popular sovereignty. That's where we get to make choices. The social contract. Um, that is the agreement we give to the government. We agree to, to listen to them and, and follow their rules and orders. Uh, we, we basically give up our rights to govern ourselves in exchange for the government doing that for us. Okay. Uh, one of the, the documents from this, actually two of them, is the Declaration of Independence and uh, the Constitution. Um, I think you're pretty okay with these things, but just a you know, reminder, the Declaration of Independence was written by Jefferson. It was basically the breakup letter with England. Hey, we're going to leave you. And this is why we're not happy for these particular reasons. Um, and then you know, that leads into the Constitution eventually after the Articles of Confederation showed how weak they were. And um, I, 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 don't, I don't know that there's going to be a question on you know, all those, uh, all the delegates and things like that, but just George Washington is the president and based on uh, the Virginia plan and, and things like that, the Philadelphia 
convention, the Constitutional Convention, as it became later on, known later on. Um, we talked about some other individuals, you know, Montesquieu with his spirit of the laws and the separation of powers uh, as a big one. So just uh, you may put that in the back of your, your mind there. Uh, the second standard is about the types of democracy. And uh, there's three we're going to address here. That's participatory, pluralist, and elite. Uh, participatory democracy, this is broad participation in politics. So basically with participatory democracy, we would be playing a much bigger role in decision making in the government process basically okay uh and we we would all go vote and things like that uh a pluralist democracy is the group-based thing okay if you can think back to that uh pluralism uh is all about the the and the groups can be based on almost anything you know it can be some of the interest groups we know today it can be based on religion business uh any number of things um but the groups are competing for the government's attention and for the government to be involved uh, in basically meeting those groups' goals. Okay, uh, and then elite democracy. This is where there's not much participation. A small group, a small few elite, make decisions that are going to affect uh, everybody. Okay, so participatory is very broad. Pluralist is the group based and then elite is going to be uh, that very narrow where only a few people actually make the, the decisions for us. OK, uh, some of the documents in here that we talked about on the last podcast were the U.S. Constitution, Federalist 10 and Brutus 1. Um, you know, just as a reminder, Fed 10 is about the factions uh, and the fact that, hey, factions are going to happen. The way to control them is to allow them to happen and then they kind of take care of each other. So that's that. And then Brutus one, remember, is going to be the response to the Federalist Papers is the anti-Federalist response and some of the arguments against um, having that strong central government. OK, uh, standard three, <clears throat> government power and individual rights. Uh, it kind of concentrates on the, the fact that the articles <clears throat> was weak. And that's why the Constitution emerged and it gets into the arguments with Fed 10 and Brutus 1 again. Uh, once again, I'm not going to get into to too much power to, about those because we talked about them already. Uh, once again, Fed 10 is about controlling the large republic um, through the controlling of the factions by allowing factions, um, delegating authority to elected representatives and, and you know, letting the powers be shared between the states and the national government. Um, Brutus one, just one more reminder. It's, you know, we don't want to have the large centralized government. We have a small government to be sure everybody's powers, not powers, but everybody's rights and liberties are, are protected. Uh, for the challenges of the articles, this is something that you get quite a bit throughout your schooling career. Um, you know, U.S. history, you get it. Uh, early on in your your high school, not high school, but uh, you know, just it's something that's talked about quite often. So we don't spend too much power, but just the weaknesses is typically what you're going to address with the Articles of Confederation. Uh, I remember some of those. You know, there was no military, there's no president, there was no figurehead. Uh, Congress was weak. Um, they couldn't do much of anything. Uh, they couldn't do anything to the laws without unanimous consent or the nine out of the 13, you know, pass a law. Uh, there's no ability to tax. Uh, so just all those weaknesses that 
you're probably kind of somewhat familiar with already, <clears throat> led to the eventuality of the, hey, we need to create the Constitution, which is the next topic here. The, the fifth one is the ratification of the U.S. Constitution. So you got to know a couple of the compromises, all right? But let's first talk about the Constitution and the birth of it and, and where the idea came from, things like that. So the articles happened. It happened for a few little while and then Shays Rebellion happened. Remember, that's the thing that I'm, you know, it's in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a huge event, but it's what people point to is, hey, that's what led them to, to go to the National, to the Constitutional Convention. Anyways, it happened. Um, and so they show up to rewrite the articles. That's the idea. That's the basis of the, the convention was, hey, we have this problem out of government. We need to make changes and fix it. And so they show up and they're like, uh, you know, Madison is going to break out the, his Virginia plan. Like, let's let's just rewrite it. Let's do a whole new thing. And so that's the the, the Virginia plan is the basis of the Constitution. Now. We snap our fingers and it's like, hey, here's the plan. Okay, that sounds great. There was, it wasn't something that just happened. It was, the Constitution wasn't just born, you know, in a few minutes. And yeah, everybody signs it. It was, there was some back and forth debate uh, over uh, all of this stuff. Okay. Um, and so you do need to know some of the compromises once they finally settled on, okay, let's, let's rewrite this thing. They had to settle some problems. Okay. First up is the great or the Connecticut Compromise, whichever you see it as. I grew up calling it the Great Compromise, so that's what I call it, but it could be either or. <clears throat> Remember, this was uh, around representation, okay, and population. The Virginia Plan had called for uh, representation in Congress to be based on the amount of people you had in your state, okay? Um, the Small states didn't like this, and so they had come up with the New Jersey plan, which is going to be based on equality. And so uh, there was much talk and debate, and eventually they came to the agreement, well, let's just have two houses, all right? Let's have two houses of Congress. Let's have one based on the Virginia plan. House representatives will be based on population. And let's have the, the Senate, which would be based on equality. Every state will get two senators. And uh, that was the, the great compromise was that decision. And it works out well because, you know, our whole system is based on checks and balances. And the House and the Senate set up a, a check and balance within the legislative branch in that you can't have a law passed on the House side without it passing the exact same way on the Senate side. So it's a way for the two to check each other. So it's actually it worked out pretty good, kind of by accident, as they did want to have just the one house. But then it just works out. Uh, the three-fifths compromise, this deals with slavery. OK, now remember that population is going to affect the number of representatives you have in the house. Population is also going to affect the amount of taxes you pay as a state. So we had a problem here because the South had this huge population of slaves that they wanted to count for representation purposes, but they did not want to count for tax purposes. And then the North was the opposite. They wanted to count the slave population for um, tax purposes, but not for uh, representation purposes. So obviously, once again, it's not a snap at the finger and there's a lot of debate. They finally come up with the three-fifths compromise where they're going to count three-fifths of the population for both. And then you've got the compromise on the importation of slaves. Uh, this is going to be 
the fact that the South did not want the federal government, the national government, to be able to mess with the importation of slaves, the slave trade. The North wanted it to happen that way. And so they eventually came to the agreement that, well, the federal government will not touch the slave trade for 20 years. I think 1808 was the year uh, that they came up with. Okay. Uh, the Electoral College is also uh, something that happened and was born out of the Constitution. And, and most of us, uh, I think, just based on the news and, and, and watching, we're kind of familiar with the Electoral College and the fact that the popular, popular vote is not what truly elects the, the president. You got to win those Electoral College votes. This was a fail safe you know, to protect uh, the Republic against, um, you know, people electing the wrong president. Okay. Um, there is, there was debate on how to amend the Constitution. It ends up in the Constitution as Article 5. Um, and remember, you, you don't have to know too many numbers in government, but you do need to know this. Okay. Um, an amendment is proposed either by two-thirds vote in both houses of Congress, okay, or a big national convention. You can do either way. We've not done the national convention, okay. Once it's proposed and, and approved by the by the national Congress, it then transitions to the states. And at the state level, you got to have three fourths of the state legislatures or state conventions. We typically use state legislatures. Um, three fourths of them. That's 38 of the 50 states at this point have to approve it. If they approve it, they have seven years to approve. If they do so, it becomes an amendment and becomes a part of the Constitution. It's important to note that this is completely legislative. There is no president vetoing. There is no president really coming up with an amendment. It has to come out of Congress. The judicial branch has no power over an amendment. They cannot um, get rid of it. They can't because once it's, once it's in the Constitution, it's constitutional. Okay. Um, okay, so there we go with that. All right, sixth, principles of American government. All righty. Um, I'm just going to kind of go in order because this is kind of all over the place here. Uh, first up is the powers of Congress, the president, and the courts. Uh, that deals with separation of powers and checks and balances. Uh, and this was addressed by Fed 51, one of the documents you got to know. All right. Remember, the separation of powers is we don't want to have one person, one group have all these powers that come with being uh, in our government where you get to write laws, enforce laws and judge laws. So we separate those out. Separation of powers is Baron Montesquieu. OK, uh, within that, we have the checks and balances and there's all kinds of checks and balances that are out there. Some of the ones we probably know really well, veto power by the president, the fact that Congress, the Senate specifically gets to approve uh, all presidential appointments, treaties, things like that. Uh, they get the, the, the courts have the, the, the ability of judicial review. OK, uh, all those things. And, and that's what Fed 51 concentrates on uh, is the fact that the separation of powers and the checks and balances are going to control. All right. Uh, the majorities, because remember, that's something we, we have to be concerned about in this country is, you know, the majority cannot just ignore the minority. OK. Uh, let's see. Multiple access points for stakeholders and institutions to influence public policy flows from the separation of powers and checks and balances. This means if you can't get something done with the president, potentially you go to uh, another group, uh, Congress. OK, maybe they can get something done. And then for us with federalism, we even have, you know, we go step. Let's go to the state. Let's go to our local government. 
Uh, impeachment. Remember, impeachment. This is an important thing and an important part of the, the check and balance. Um, this is where and I think you did an FRQ on this. Um, impeachment is the House bringing charges that have actual impeachment. OK. And then the Senate votes. It takes a simple majority in the House. It takes a two thirds vote in the Senate to actually find someone guilty and kick them out. We've never had a president kicked out. We've had several impeached, but we never had one kicked out. All right, going on to seven is the relationship between the states and the federal government. Uh, remember that the this was a compromise, okay? The states had all the power under the Articles, and they were pretty happy to have that power. And the Constitution is going to take power away from the states. And so as a way of saying, hey, if you sign this thing, if you, if you agree to the Constitution, yes, you're giving up some of your power, but we're going to share power. And those are those concurrent powers. And so uh, it's a it's a weird, I shouldn't say weird, but it's just an interesting relationship between the federal government and the state government. And we always want to think, oh, the United States, everything's great hunky dory between between. But it's not always the states really want to do what they want to do, but they get direction from the federal government. And the Constitution does say the federal government is supreme. Um, anyway, so so the. The different powers we have, you've got expressed or exclusive. The exclusive are, are delegated to, these are specific to the federal government. So coin money, military, that is stuff only the federal government does. And then you've got concurrent powers, which is where they share, things like the taxes, uh, being responsible for public safety, things like that, um, is going to be um, some of the powers there. Okay. Um, how does the federal government get the states to do what they want them to do? Because at the end of the day, most states would just as soon do their own thing. All right. Uh, but they do it with money, uh, to be honest. OK, money is the, the big way. The, the federal government sends lots of money to the states and in the form of grants. And we've talked about uh, the different types of grants. You've got the. Um, Categorical and block being the two big ones. Categorical, remember, those are the ones that come with strings attached. So, hey, you got to do this. If you don't, you're going to lose funding potentially. Um, if you don't spend it this way, you're going to lose funding or you know, we're going to be upset with you. Block grants, a little more freedom. Uh, it allows the states to, to kind of do the things how they want to. Okay. So, categorical grants are really directed specifically, and you've got to do this. We're, and, and basically, categorical grants comes with control. Categorical grants come with the fact that the federal government wants the states to do this and do it this way. Okay, block grants, we want you to do this. Here's the money to do it, but you do it how you want to. Welfare is an example of this. In 96, remember, welfare was turned over to the state, still federally funded, but you can run it how you want to. OK, uh, some other things in there, mandates. I remember these are orders from the federal government to do certain things. OK. Um, all right. Moving on to eight constitutional interpretations of federalism. So this is going to be heavy on the court cases we talked about yesterday. So I won't spend a great deal of time. I will do reminders you know, about these things, but I won't do a, uh, a huge thing like I did. Um, so. The interpretation of the, 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 the federalism in the Constitution mainly comes from the 10th Amendment, uh, the 14th Amendment, the Commerce Clause, Necessary and Proper Clause, enumerated implied powers, 
Okay, and so let's talk. Let's break down each one of those. So the Tenth Amendment. Uh, remember, this is what gives states some power, some leeway. So as long as the Constitution doesn't specifically deny states something, then typically states are allowed to do it. And that's what the Tenth Amendment says. So it explicitly says the only people that can coin money is the federal government. So states can't do that. But there's other things uh, that you know, states are allowed to, they can pick and choose their own flags. So, you know, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but Mississippi just recently changed their flag from a Confederate, um, I, don't, I shouldn't say Confederate, it, it had Confederate themes, I guess, or, or I can't remember the exact debate over, but they finally changed them. But the federal government could not dictate to the states because the states are, it doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution, states can't make those choices. Uh, the 14th Amendment, this is a big one. It defines citizenship, and, and we know from our U.S. history days that even after the 14th Amendment, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, you know, race relations in the country was, was pretty contentious, to, to say the least. Uh, and so using the 14th Amendment, using equal protection, using due process uh, was always an issue between the states and the federal government. Uh, the Commerce Clause, remember, this is a clause that says that the only people, the only group that can control inter, inter so state-to-state -state deals, uh, is the federal government. States control intra within the states, but inter is going to be the uh, federal government. Remember, Ogden, Ogden, Ogden versus, um, oh my gosh, I just remember, just drew a blank. The steamboat case, um, Gibbons versus Ogden. Thank you. Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't, took forever to pull it out of there. Anyways, uh, where they both got charters to be on the, the Hudson River, and the, and the court said, no. New York, New Jersey, you can't give those kinds of things. The only people that can do that is the federal government, Congress specifically. And so Commerce Clause has been used many times by the federal government and by uh, those groups to get involved in things, in issues with the states. Uh, the Necessary and Proper Clause, this is the ability of Congress to stretch their powers. Uh, I, I love, because I'm a U.S. history guy, to use the example of the Bank of the United States. It doesn't say anywhere in the Constitution that Congress can create a Bank of the United States. But the Necessary and Proper Clause says that Congress can do things outside and kind of stretch those powers that are listed in the Constitution. So commerce, bank, let's create a bank in the United States. And then it's led to contention between the states and the federal government. Uh, the enumerated powers, the implied powers, the enumerated powers, those are the ones that are spelled out, they're expressed. You might see it as sometimes the implied powers. Those are the powers that are, they're implied. Hey, it doesn't say it directly in here, but I can do it. Uh, you know, you, we can we can create this bank in the United States, even though it doesn't say exactly in there that I can. We're allowed to do that. Alrighty. Uh, and let's see the McCullough versus Maryland case. This is one of those required cases I talked about in the last podcast. Just a reminder, real quick. Uh, it's what established the supremacy of the Constitution. Remember, Maryland was trying to get rid of the bank in the United States, and they were unsuccessful, obviously because it went to court and the court found in favor of the bank, basically in favor of the United States uh, federal government. And um, yeah, the, the supremacy, the federal government is supreme over state laws. And this is why you know, we've talked about this before in class, the fact that these states that have marijuana legalized, at any time the federal government wanted to, they could go in there and they could say, we're going to shut you down. You're, you're breaking federal law. Federal law is supreme. It happened in 2005 in California, where California had medical marijuana going on. And the federal government said, we don't want you to do that. It went to court. The Supreme Court found in favor of the federal government supreme. So that that's 
that comes from McCullough versus Maryland. Uh, U.S. versus Lopez deals with the Commerce Clause. We talked about this one as well. Just a reminder, the federal government did take an L here in the fact that they had wanted to get involved in this gun-free school zone uh, instance here. And uh, the court said, no, nah, you can't do that. Okay, um, States can handle the, this business. You don't, they don't need you. And you're outside of your zone there. Okay. Um, you know, schools have nothing to do with interstate commerce, which is what you're claiming. Um, so we, we talked about other cases that dealt with that, the U.S. versus Morrison case. I could see that as a great compare, court case comparison. I'm going to address the FRQs in the third uh, series where I'm doing three and four, which are the short ones. So I'll address the FRQs and I'll talk about that a little bit more then. But uh, just there's there's all kinds of stuff we could talk about, but I'm running short on time and I don't want to to go outside of the standards uh, right now. OK, uh, finally, federalism in action. <clears throat> excuse me. Remember, federalism, <clears throat> excuse me, is the relationship between the federal government and the states. They share power over us. Both of them have things that they can do. We talked about this with the express powers, the concurrent powers, uh, the applied powers, the reserve powers, reserved are what's left to the states, what's left to, you know, that they can do. Like I said, it was a compromise to the states, but it is always a point of contention, too, because the states want to do what they want to do, you know. Uh, and, and you see this in action in that the federal government. There, with this, with the, the pandemic, there wasn't a federal mandate. Everything happened from state to state. So one state handled stuff this way. Another state handled it this way with the lockdowns and, and mandates and things like that. Uh, there was there was there was federal guidance to an extent. Hey, you should do this. We we would like for you to do it. But at the end of the day, it was up to the states to do these things. Same thing with court decisions. A lot of times it's left up to the states to enforce those decisions. Laws, federal laws is up to the states to enforce those things. So they get to interpret these things. And uh, it can sometimes be frustrating to the federal government because the states don't always want to do what they're supposed to do. And that's why they use the money. Hey, we're going to do, you're going to do this. Uh, you know, we talk about them in, in class all the time, the, the drinking age. That's a state law. That's a state regulation. It's not a federal thing. But the federal government wants it at 21, and so they tie uh, states' money for roads construction uh, to it. All right. Um, federalism also gives stakeholders, so me and you, uh, multiple places to go. Like we talked about this just a few minutes ago. That the you know I can go and I can try and get something done by talking to the, the local level, then I can go to the state level, and then go to the national level. So. You know, there's there's plenty of places for me to try. I've, I've never felt passionate enough about anything to really try very hard to to get the government to to do anything. I'm also a little bit jaded in that. I don't think my voice would be really recognized. That's why I just stick to voting, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, it, it's it's an option and it's something that people can do if you want to. You can call up your state senators. You can call up here your state congressman, your governor, and all that kind of stuff, and, and see what happens, all right? Um, and we, we talked about the sharing of the power, so, yeah, there we go. All right, guys, so once again, this unit is Unit 1, the Foundations of Democracy. It is all about those constitutional underpinnings. I went over 
just because of time constraints, I went over the um, the standards as they are in the, the book. There's more to talk about. So if you want to talk about stuff, then come on Sunday the 2nd to my general review and ask those questions there. Or as always, hit me up on the remind text. Hit me up on email. Um, I'm going to leave the coach D underscore 1977 at yahoo.com just because it's easier than my school email. Email. You can feel free to email me there and I will respond to you very quickly. If you want to join the conversation on Twitter, uh, I am there at uh, kdanielsapgov. Feel free to look me up. I don't have many followers, so that's okay, though. If you are on there and want to jump on and just say, hey, what's this? Uh, I try and respond pretty quick to that as well. So uh, I'll answer your questions as best I can. Uh, and if I don't know it, I will definitely work my tell off to find you the answer so we can do well on this test. All right, guys, look for the next one to drop on Friday, the 23rd, I think it is, where we do the branches. This will be the big one. This is the big one as it is 25 to 36% of your test. And then unit three and four and the FRQs will drop on Monday, the 26th. Unit five will drop on Wednesday and uh, that'll be the last in the, in the series. And then once again, we'll just get ready for the test. All right, guys, I hope all is well. Good luck studying. If I can help you, please, 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 please reach out. Let me know. There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of me and I will talk to you later. Bye bye.